You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now, a message from Cyberbit. Mastering cybersecurity is like mastering a sport. You build muscle memory through rigorous practice. Then you train as a team to foster cohesion while operating under pressure. Like athletes, cybersecurity professionals thrive on hands-on simulation. But traditional courses, certifications, and open-source labs won't build you a winning team. You need Cyberbit. Cyberbit offers a hyper-realistic simulation environment for your SOC, IR, and C-suite to refine your skills. All using the market-leading SIMs, EDRs, firewalls, and WAFs they use every day. Cyberbit is offering CyberWire listeners a free live-fire exercise. Sign up your team now at cyberbit.com slash cyberwire. Untangling Solarigate and distinguishing primary targets from collateral damage... Congress asks NSA for background on an earlier supply chain incident. The Cyberspace Solarium Commission offers the new U.S. administration some transition advice. Rick Howard hears from the hash table on Microsoft Azure. Andrea Little-Limbago from Enteros on the intersection of COVID and cyber vulnerabilities. And the week gets off to a rough start for smart Britons. From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Monday, February 1st, 2021. As the U.S. government and industry continue to untangle the effects of Solargate, Bloomberg reports speculation that Russian intelligence services may have been especially interested in what they could glean from tech and cybersecurity firms over the course of the SolarWinds supply chain compromise. Insight into defenses and cyber tools would have been particularly valuable. They're valuable, as recorded Futures Alan Liska told Bloomberg, because, quote, if you can compromise security infrastructure, you essentially have the keys to the kingdom and can run around undetected and we're dealing with an advanced adversary who's looking for this kind of access. End quote. Four cybersecurity companies have reported attacks, FireEye, Mimecast, Qualys, and Fidelis. The threat actor is being tracked for now as UNC-2452. IT and cyber firms didn't, however, comprise the entire list of private sector targets, InfoSecurity Magazine notes that the sunburst vulnerability has been determined to affect a number of manufacturing companies. Kaspersky CERT found that targeting broke down as follows. 32.4% of all victims were industrial organizations, with manufacturing 18.1% of all victims, by far the most affected. This was followed by utilities at 3.2%, construction 3%, and transportation and logistics just under 3%, and oil and gas, 1.3%. Computing says that while most of these targets may well have been collateral damage from a supply chain attack whose primary interest lay elsewhere, and that there are no particular signs of a secondary attack against them, 
Kaspersky researchers didn't rule out the possibility that such attacks might be staged. In any case, the industrial concerns affected by the supply chain compromise are international. The countries affected, according to computing, are, in addition to the obvious United States, Benin, Canada, Chile, Djibouti, Indonesia, Iran, Malaysia, Mexico, the Netherlands, the Philippines, Portugal, Russia, Saudi Arabia, Taiwan, and Uganda. The global spread is reminiscent of what was observed in an earlier supply chain campaign, not Petya. The probable primary target was Ukraine, but the malware was felt around the world. Solarigate has provoked congressional interest in an earlier incident, a 2015 breach of Juniper Network servers, in which the attackers made small changes to code for the dual-EC-DRBG encryption algorithm. NIST had promulgated the NSA-developed algorithm as a standard for encryption in 2006. Bloomberg Law reports that two senators and eight representatives have signed a letter asking NSA Director Nakasone to explain whether NSA, years before General Nakasone's watch, had effectively backdoored the encryption in ways that enabled a hostile intelligence service to compromise the software supply chain. The Cyberspace Solarium Commission has produced a transition book for the new U.S. administration. They recommend three steps for immediate action. First, establish the office of the National Cyber Director. Second, develop and promulgate a national cyber strategy. And third, improve the coherence and impact of existing government cybersecurity efforts and further strengthen partnerships with the private sector. The document also outlines several priorities for the administration to take under advisement. UK Research and Innovation, known by its acronym UCRI, an arm of Her Majesty's government that concerns itself with investing in British science and research, has disclosed that it's presently coping with a ransomware incident. UCRI is being tight-lipped about the incident, which it says it's referred to the National Crime Agency, the National Cybersecurity Center and Information Commissioner's Office, but it's known to have affected two services. The UK Research Office's Information Service Portal for subscribers was hit, as was an extranet UCRI councils use for peer review of proposals. Both services have been suspended. UCRI is funded by the Department for Business, Energy and Industrial Strategy with a budget of more than £6 billion. According to Bleeping Computer, the organization says it has no evidence the compromised data was stolen before being encrypted and hasn't detailed what the nature of that data was. The incident remains under investigation. And finally, it's been a rough start to the week for smart people over in the UK. British Mensa, the national branch of the organization that describes itself as the High IQ Society, has said that there has been a series of events which appear to be designed to discredit Mensa's systems. A representative of the group told the Financial Times that, as a result, we have handed details of these events to the Information Commissioner's Office with a view to pursuing a criminal investigation. How'd they get in? Apparently, says Forbes, they had one of the society director's credentials. The society's webpage has been shut down with a charmingly retro drawing of a thundercloud overtopping what may be a Bauhaus office building alongside the legend Site Under Maintenance. The British Mensa site website is currently undergoing maintenance. We apologize for any inconvenience. The whole thing looks circa 1998, we'd say.
Not quite a guy with a shovel and a tagline under construction, but you get the picture. British Mensa's former technology officer, Eugene Hopkinson, resigned last week in an apparent protest of the group's allegedly lax security practices. In particular, Mr. Hopkinson objected to the group's failure to salt and hash members' passwords and that it held a great deal of sensitive data about its 18,000 members, including email addresses, passwords, home addresses, instant messaging conversations, and, it goes without saying, pay card details. Oh, and it also holds the IQ scores of not only members, but, wait for it, failed applicants as well. So whether you're in the top 2% with, say, a 174 IQ or one of the rest of us clocking in around 100, well, Mensa knows. And so probably does whoever hacked in. What someone would do with anyone's IQ is to us a bit of a mystery, but surely there's plenty of potential embarrassment to go around. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use with zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. And it is my pleasure to welcome back to the CyberWire Daily Podcast, Rick Howard, our Chief Security Officer and Chief Analyst. Rick, great to have you back. Thank you, sir. So last week on CSO Perspectives, you did a deep dive into Microsoft Azure, and you looked at things like zero trust, intrusion kill chains, resilience, and risk assessment. Uh, for this week's show, you brought our experts to the CyberWire's hash table uh, so that they could tell you what you got wrong. Uh, <laughs> how, how, how did that work out for you, my friend? <laughs> well, as you can imagine, it's always humbling, okay? Uh, 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 
I'm always odd at how many smart people there are out there that really know their stuff, you know, and grateful, right. by the way, that they come to the hash table to help us understand some of these admittedly complex ideas. Uh, mm -hmm. in, in this show, I talked to Microsoft's lead cybersecurity architect, Mike Simos, about resilience in the form of DDoS protections by virtue of being part of Microsoft's very large and already protected network, and ransomware protections with a mechanism called immutable storage. And we talked about a zero trust construct called management groups. That is a very unsexy name, okay, but, <laughs> but gives uh, Azure administrators a lot of control over any zero trust policy. So uh, at the end of these two shows, what's your impression? I mean, is it, can security executives secure their cloud environments? Well, I think the simple answer is, yeah, they can, all right? Uh, cloud vendors don't make it easier to secure your data in their environments as compared to how we do it back at headquarters or on-prem, uh, hmm. but they do provide an equivalent set of tools. I did ask Rick Doten, the, the Carolina Health CISO, that very same question at the hash table, and he said he thought so too, but the one thing that still nags at him is the single vendor problem. So hmm. once you commit to a cloud provider, Microsoft or any of them, it will be difficult to extract yourself uh, once you have any sizable or meaningful workloads running there. It can be done, but you're not turning that tire on a dime, right? And, <laughs> and he told a great story. He likens the whole problem to the single cloud, or we, he calls it the single cloud provider problem, but he thinks it's very similar to the old Jimmy Stewart Christmas movie, It's a Wonderful Life. I know you love that movie. <laughs> <laughs> and by the way, I love that movie, okay? I cry every single time. When the well, entire town comes in to save George Bailey at the end, yeah. you know, tears, tears how in my eyes. How can you not? You're, you're not a monster, right? Yeah, I mean, I know. how can you not? I'm a human being. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> All right, so there's a scene in the movie when the, the depression is just starting and everybody in town is trying to get their money out of the bank that George runs. And George, mm -hmm. played by Jimmy Stewart, he says this. You, you're, you're thinking of this place all wrong as if I had the money back in a safe. The, the money's not here. Well, your money's in Joe's house. That's right next to yours. And in the Kennedy house and Mrs. Maitland's house and a hundred others. So Rick Doden's great Jimmy Stewart analogy is that if you decide that you don't like your current cloud provider anymore, getting your data to the new cloud providers network will be an interesting exercise. <laughs> I bet they don't make it any easier for you, do they? they <laughs> no. They, they like, every, everybody likes to have that lock-in, right? <laughs> yeah, lock-in. That's how we make <laughs> yeah, our money. So. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, it is CSO Perspectives. It is part of CyberWire Pro. You can learn all about that on our website, thecyberwire.com. Rick Howard, thanks for joining us. Thank you, sir. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber.
And joining me once again is Andrea Little-Limbago. She's the Vice President of Research and Analysis at Interos. Uh, Andrea, it is always great to have you back. Um, I wanted to touch today on a survey that I know you've been working on dealing with COVID and supply chains. Uh, what are some of the cyber-related findings that you have to share with us? Right, and you know, and there were a lot more cyber-related findings than I initially had anticipated. And, you know, so it, over the hmm. summer, we surveyed 450 executives from some of the big corporations in the, in the United States to really try and ascertain what the kind of disrupt what kind of disruptions there were from COVID. You know, we heard a lot. You know, this was during the middle of the summer. We'd heard a, plenty of uh, news about the food supply chain. We saw it in our grocery stores, but we want to get into more of a data driven understanding of exactly what was going on. And so the survey did prove very useful in highlighting some some issues that we you kind of thought were there anecdotally, but uh, you know, it's, it's always good to to find the data actually supports it. And so on the one mm-hmm. hand. You know, unsurprising. You know, ninety-eight percent of respondents felt that they were, you know, were had their supply chains disrupted. Ninety-seven percent felt there's some vulnerabilities that were exposed, and you know, again, similar numbers felt that these kind of disruptions were going to continue in the future. At the time, we were talking about a second wave, and now it's just really going into the, you know, this ongoing wave that you know just keeps escalating. And so there's big concern about how that's going to be impacting. But what? Really uh, was highlighting you know, after the disruptions from COVID, one of the big exposures for vulnerabilities was uh, the growing concerns over cyber. And so, while COVID posed the biggest threat and risk, cyber wasn't far behind. <laughs> and hmm. uh, so, I thought that was interesting. And you know, it did change a little by a little bit industry to industry. The aerospace and defense industry, far and away, were the most concerned about cyber compared to some of the other other industries that we that we interviewed. Uh, something like seventy two percent noted cyber as the biggest risk they're that they're facing right now. And bigger so, than COVID. Um, just behind COVID, they still felt COVID was large, but um, you know, right on top with 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 COVID. So and and actually, in some other areas, they did you know rank cyber as as a bigger concern than COVID. Um, huh. And that's just the aerospace and defense. Other industries, COVID was by far and away, yeah, you know, number one with with cyber uh, behind a bit more. And then even your know, concerns about cyber looking into the future elevated it even more as well. And so I thought those were interesting. You know, and the the concerns, one, and this is what you know, sort of goes back to the aerospace and defense, you know, the, a lot of the geopolitical forces that are underway were, were a concern, but it links directly to you know these concerns about basically the supply chains, both and digital supply chains being across the globe and being concerned about various kinds of data access and data insecurity within certain countries. And so, you know, onshoring and reshoring away from some of these countries, you know, already was kind of underway due to security concerns and data risks, but now COVID is, is escalating those as well. And so I thought that was interesting. And then other areas, you know, really, we asked several questions about digital supply chains. You know, that's an area that keeps growing in importance. Uh, you know, something like, close, you know, there's one study last year, close to 80% increase in supply chain attacks in 2019. You know, we hear about all these, you know, like 60% of breaches linked to third-party vendors and so forth. So we, we know supply chain attacks are becoming more and more common. And so we ask questions about digital supply chains. And the findings, you know, again, you know, prove that that is a growing concern. And what I thought was interesting was people, that the respondents were just as concerned about supply chain attacks to their direct suppliers as they were to basically junior suppliers, who like those sub-tiers that are the suppliers of your suppliers of your suppliers and so forth. Right, and, and they were just right. as concerned about both. And again, that makes sense because, you know, these supply chains are so tightly integrated, uh, but so complex as well. That's hard to have visibility across, 
you know, most companies don't even know who is in their extended supply chain when you go down to those various tiers because of the, it's just it's so complex. And mm-hmm. so that also means that you know there are companies you know downstream in your supply chain ecosystem that likely have access to your data and you don't even know how they're protecting their data. And so yeah. that exposes a big vulnerability. And you know, one question we asked was, you know, what percentage of their own data exists external to their own networks? And you know, on average, it was about forty percent of their data uh, exists hmm. you know downstream across their ecosystem. And so, you know, that's a, that's a significant amount of data. And if you don't know how, if you don't know what the security postures are of companies across your ecosystem, you know, that could be a big vulnerability. Is there a sense that, I, I'm thinking in terms of, of uncertainty, because I think when you think about COVID, we have a lot of uncertainty right now. Absolutely. We don't know the timeline for a vaccine. We don't need, we, we don't have a clear sense for the success of vaccines, Um is there that is there similar uncertainty on the cyber side of things? Yeah, I think so, and I think that there it's almost the convergence of the two as well that makes it even more uncertain. You know, hmm. many respondents noted that the pandemic makes them more more vulnerable to cyber attacks, and that gets into the area. You know, given the distributed workforce that's going on, you know, there's there's such you know it's just increasingly is hard to you know, maintain that the tighter security controls. And we know that in March in the race to remote work. You know, many security controls, you know, or many security uh, postures, you sort of let their guard down a little bit in the race to maintain continuation of operations. And not all those companies have then reinstated them. And so it does, you know, the pandemic has, you know, both introduced new vulnerabilities, uh, but, you know, it, it increases that uncertainty as, as companies are trying to deal with how to respond to that and how to create and heighten their security postures, you know, in, in this new era that we're living in. And I do think right. it's a new era. I mean, that's the thing. You know, it's very much so. You know, what life was like before, and what we're going to the future, at least in the realm of, you know, of business and geopolitics, uh, you know, is going to be very, very different than it was going into COVID. And I think that companies are trying to really brace for what that future will look like. And that's what we saw a lot too. Uh, you know, a bigger focus on resilience, and it's across the board, from you know increasing their security postures, having better visibility across their supply chains, understanding the security postures of their suppliers and their supplier suppliers. And so as whereas, you know, in the past, you know, just-in-time production, which was, you know, really popularized in, in the 80s uh, with Japan, uh, really, you know, with, with you know, a huge focus on efficiency and optimization, you know, that, that you know, coupled with these various concentration risks uh, in regions and through vendors and you know, just the increasing complexity of supply chains as globalization really took off, you know, increased in security to a point that, you know, any kind of disruption across their supply chain also, we, you know, it's not just a physical supply chain that gets disrupted, it's a digital one as well. And that's what we have seen. And so they do feel, you know, companies do feel more vulnerable. And as they're looking to make their plans going forward for a post-COVID world, they're really focusing on resilience and agility. And a lot that has to do with not just with, you know, the reshoring and onshoring of the physical supply chain, but also how to increase greater resilience and agility you know, across their, their digital supply chain ecosystem and across, you know, really protecting their data wherever it may go. Mm. All right. Well, Andrea Little-Limbago, thanks for joining us. Great. Thank you. And that's the CyberWire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. 
And for professionals and cybersecurity leaders who want to stay abreast of this rapidly evolving field, sign up for CyberWire Pro. It'll save you time and keep you informed. Life just got a little easier. Listen for us on your Alexa smart speaker, too. Don't forget to check out the Grumpy Old Geeks podcast, where I contribute to a regular segment called Security. Ah, I join Jason and Brian on their show for a lively discussion of the latest security news every week. You can find Grumpy Old Geeks where all the fine podcasts are listed. And check out the Recorded Future podcast, which I also host. The subject there is threat intelligence. And every week we talk to interesting people about timely cybersecurity topics. That's at recordedfuture.com slash podcast. The CyberWire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing CyberWire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Kelsey Bond, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Ivan, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. Now, a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI.